I want to talk today about this portion, but there were some elements in the portion that I found to be very amazing, considering what we are going through as a nation right now. Uh, You might not, in reading this, think in terms of plagues or viruses or any kind of calamity like that. But where we are in the portion today is an interesting one. It's called Vayechel, means he assembled. Now, it's kind of interesting. He says he assembled a whole community of people to come together. Today, you can't really do that. We're trying to keep six feet apart from everybody else. So, you know, I thought it's kind of interesting that it's called He Assembled while we are disassembling, while we are separating ourselves from one another in some ways to try and avoid the plague. So I was thinking about building an antidote to a plague. Now, when we look through this, on the Jewish calendar, we just had recently Purim. We saw all of the plague that was there before, if you will. A plague of hatred, a plague of anti-Semitism, a plague of destruction. And just like some of the viruses that come back over and over again, that goes back to a time a couple weeks ago where we talk about Zahar, where it talks about remember, don't forget, and it spoke of Amalek. And Amalek was one who was um, causing destruction to the, to the people that were there, those who were straggling behind. And God said, don't forget. And he said to wipe them out, the memory of them. And he wanted them to be removed. Well, we also know, not to go into the whole history of it, we know that Haman, during the time of Esther, was a descendant of Amalek, who was supposed to have been cut off, but he carried forth that virus of hatred and anti-Semitism. And it went forward to bring destruction. It was spoken, if you will, as, you, I guess you could call it uh, uh, a panorama, a, a, um, yes, a virus. <laughs> uh, because it was something that swept through all of the provinces of the world power at that time. And it was during that time that we saw this go forth, and there was no hope. It seemed like there was no way out. not going to go into the story of it, but I just want to point out that it was very much like a plague. Death was proclaimed. The destruction of the Jewish people was sealed, and it was set. And God moved in a miraculous way to turn that event around and to bring an antidote to it. That antidote came through Esther and through Mordechai, who brought God's presence into that situation and delivered our people from death and destruction. We also saw that in a couple of weeks, we come to Passover, Passover represents another type of a plague that was happening. Now, we know that there were plagues that happened, the ten plagues, that happened during uh, Israel's deliverance from Egypt. But in a way, Pharaoh was also like Haman in that he had a plague of hatred and slavery, enslavement of people. And when we look at it, it was sandwiched, we are sandwiched in between those two times, Purim and Passover. 
In each case, God delivered by a mighty hand, and God will deliver our nation and this world by a mighty hand as well. Oftentimes, the destructive things that happen around us are not meant to be the end of all things, but a wake-up call to bring us back to understand that there are more important things going on. There are things that we need to be reconciled with. And in many cases, the very thing that seems to be destructive, God moves in the midst of chaos, many times in the midst of chaos, chaos that is caused often by our own actions, by our cynical behavior, by our sinful nature, by things that allow us to become complacent and take for granted the things that we have in our life. But God moves to draw us back to himself. He is always wanting to reconcile us back to himself. And so this is something to understand that God used all of the foibles. You know, in this, in last week's portion, it talked about the golden calf. And even with all of that action, there was a plague that came upon them. Many of them died because of their actions. And that plague was stopped. And then we see God bringing his message and telling them to build the tabernacle. And we see in this, this brings us to this portion now, we see in this uh, that God brought a number of, if you will, the word is he assembled. Assembled can have a number of different meanings. One is to assemble, to bring together and to build, to assemble, come together, to have groups come together. In this case, he said Moses assembled the whole congregation to come together. He said to take up an offering, and they assembled and brought in an offering. They brought in all of these different elements. They brought in gold and silver and purple and all kinds of things. Uh, They took their rings, they took their earrings, they took all of these things, and they put it into the pishka, and they said, let's Use it to build the tabernacle. That's what God wanted him to do. Now, I did notice that not listed in any of those things were some of the treasures that people today are coveting very strongly, such as paper towels and toilet paper. Nowhere is it mentioned in the scripture that they brought their toilet paper, that they brought these towels. You know, part of what we see now is people running out of stores with carts full of toilet paper and towels. I'm not sure why that has become the main commodity that people look at when it comes to trying to prepare for whatever is ahead for us. I can see food. I can see things like, but all of that toilet paper, what is that for? I mean, how many homes can you paper? (laughs) Anyway, that's a whole nother subject. All right. So, We see them coming and bringing all of these things in. The community comes together. But there was another assembly. There was an assembly of the ones who were anointed with skills to be able to put together this tabernacle that God laid out. And Bethel and Aholiav were craftsmen that God had endowed with wisdom, it says in chapter 36, verse 1, and skill necessary to carry out the work needed for the sanctuary. They're to do exactly according to everything God ordered them to do. And we see something that you don't usually see in most congregations when it comes to offerings. They actually had such a heart to give and a heart to work for the kingdom and for the purposes of God 
that they said everything is sufficient. Tell them to stop giving so much. They said it's too much, too much. Now, I haven't heard an offering message where people say it's too much. Please stop giving. Uh, We haven't said that. But at the same time, when we see God working and the people were so excited about the tabernacle that was coming, it wasn't just for uh, to have an edifice up there or some kind of a building project. It was because God said that he would dwell and live in the midst of the people. And ultimately, the whole purpose of God tabernacling with us is so that we could experience God's love and his presence and his residence within our hearts to walk in the midst of us, that we would be his people and he would be our God. That is a theme that is carried throughout all of the scripture. And when we look at this in other passages, we see that uh, there are, there is something about God stirring the hearts of the people. I want to look for a moment at a verse that we mentioned in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And at verse 6, it said, here's the point. He who plants sparingly also harvests sparingly. Each should give according to what he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. It's the same. He said, God loves a cheerful giver. It literally means a hilarious giver. God loves a hilarious giver. Coming with joy, coming with a heart to see God's work established. And so he wants us to be generous because God is generous to us. He says, God has the power to provide you with every gracious gift in abundance so that always in every way you will have all you need yourselves and be able to provide abundantly for every good cause. He gave generously to the poor. His sadaka, his charity, his love, his righteousness lasts forever. God wants us to be able to do this so that thanks can be given to God for his indescribable gift. Now, this is not a message on offerings. But I want you to understand that when we have situations that are crisis-oriented, people do one of two things. They covet everything they have to try to acquire whatever they could. I saw somebody filling his garage with all kinds of stuff from Costco's or something and then and then selling it on eBay to make a profit because people were desperate for the cleaning agents and stuff like that. But This is not what God wants us to do in times of difficulty. He wants us to be generous with everyone around us. He wants us to be able to have hearts that are stirred within us for the kingdom of God, to bring God's compassion and his love. And so I want to reference a couple of other passages here. Uh, I want to point out that when you look at this, God says, don't give sparingly in the same way that he said that their hearts were stirred to bring that. When we look around us and see people who are in need, we see people who are suffering, we hear of loved ones who are ill with the virus, people who are dying, people who are having difficulties, we are looking for an antidote, we are looking for something to make change within people's hearts. And so we want to be in a position to assist others and to help them do it. Now it's interesting that in the book of Philippians, or let, let me look for a moment uh, at, at another passage, and that is at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now listen to this. 
here's what happens in the world. We have these challenges that are happening all around us. We choose to either follow the way of the world and try to create for ourselves that which will make us happy, or we see the bigger picture and we understand that we're part of something more than just ourselves. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.3, For although we do live in the world, we do not war or wage war in a worldly manner. Because the weapons we use to wage war are not worldly. On the contrary, they have God's power for demolishing strongholds. We demolish arguments in every arrogance that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive and make it obey Messiah. You know, today people are stressing out, people are freaking out the uh, the the uh, pandemic, that's the word I tried to get before, the pandemic is not as bad as the panic. That is spreading faster than even the disease. But here is what we know. When people work together, just as Betzalel and Aholiab were anointed by God to be able to work in every craft, in every detail, to bring about the transformation of that tabernacle so that God's presence would be there. So God has also raised up people. He's raised up doctors. He's raised up scientists. He's raising up people who are coming together, not looking at what uh, political party they belong to, but understanding that we are working for all of the human race. And we are looking to see people stand in and pray that God will give these doctors and these scientists and these people who are gifted in those areas an anointing to be able to come up with a solution for that physical ailment that's there. But you know, it's also interesting that when calamities come, we can do one of two things. We can shake our fists at God and make him to be the brunt of all of our anger and hatred. Or we could try to find somebody else to be a scapegoat for that. But it never produces anything positive. It doesn't produce results that will last and change lives around us. But if we allow God to transform us, if we allow him to give us an insight with a generous heart, to be able to step into the positions that we need to, to fulfill our calling and destiny, to reach the needs and meet the needs of others around us, we will begin to see God spread that sense of his anointing, just as Aholiab was teaching and instructing those who weren't skilled in those things, how to be skilled in that. So we want to also see God raise people up to understand that God has a purpose beyond just our jobs and just our money and just our material things. He has a calling in each one of us, a call for eternity and destiny that is within each of us. And sometimes when we can't get onto all of the online media or we can't go and actually see people uh, and hug and connect you discover how important those things are. When you can't go and watch a game, a football game, a basketball game, a baseball game, you know, some people make those to be like idols. But isn't it interesting? People don't know what to do. I, I heard on on, uh, on um, um, ESPN 
they are not sure what to talk about because (laughs) all they can do is go back to old reruns of things that are in the past. We don't want to spend our time on thinking about the past or worrying about the future. We want to invest ourselves and receive that anointing that comes from God that is able to give us an ability to stand strong in everything that we do. You know, he said this in that passage. Uh, It says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. And what are those strongholds? It's not people. It's not countries at war. It is a spiritual battle. It's that they have God's power to demolish strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's imaginations. It's ruminating over what all of the terrible things could actually become. In reality, if we spend our time thinking about all of those things, we're going to find ourselves not looking for solutions, but just complaining without any hope of change. God wants us to understand that there is more to it than that. Um, in, In the book of Philippians, it says this, Rejoice, chapter 4, verse 4, in union with the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see how reasonable and gentle you are. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. On the contrary, and that doesn't mean if you don't worry about anything, you're just giving in to everything. It's not, it's not uh, what happens, happens. There is an activation that God wants us to have. He says, don't worry about anything. He doesn't stop there. He says, on the contrary, make your request known to God by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Isn't it interesting that when we worry, all we do is complain? But when we give our hearts over to God, when we allow our hearts to bring the request before Him with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, then God's shalom, passing all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds safe in union with the Messiah Yeshua. He says, in conclusion, brothers, focus on, focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable, on some virtue or on something praiseworthy. Keep doing what you have learned and received from me, what you have heard and seen me doing, then the God who gives shalom, peace, will be with you. It's interesting that with all of the, you say, well, that's good to say for Paul, Rav Shaul, because what did he go through? Well, he went through a lot. He was left for dead. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. All these different things. But here he says this, not that I am saying this in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Philippians, not that I'm saying this to call attention to any need of mine, since as far as I'm concerned, I have learned to be content regardless of circumstances. I know what it is to be in want, to have lack, and I know what it is to have more than enough. In everything and in every way, I have learned the secret of being full and being hungry of having abundance and being in need. Having toilet paper and having towels. Having nothing. (laughs) All of this, he said, I can do all things 
through him who gives me power. God's desire is for us to be able to understand what it is we have from him. It says, moreover, my God will fill every need of yours according to his glorious wealth in union with the Messiah, Yeshua. God wants us to be in union with him. And if we are, we begin to see all of the different parts, all of the different places of the tabernacle, all of the different giftings that we have, all of the things that we bring to the table, not just in our material things, but in our service, being trained, looking to help, seeing what we can do to put this tabernacle of God together, to be able to do it according to everything that God said it would have to be. I want to mention something here as I'm drawing this to a close. I want to mention something in the book of, uh, uh, of Romans. In, 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 in Romans, uh, it says something. We always talk about the passage that says, uh, we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You might say, well, what kind of a circumstance could you be in? Of course, that's hopeful, wishful thinking. But he said this before that. He says in verse 26, Similarly, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray the way we should. Before it said by prayer and supplication. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Sometimes the circumstances are so overwhelming, there aren't words to be able to bring to the table that we can do. It says, but the Spirit himself pleads on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes it's just a sense of, oh, oh God, crying out, not having words, not knowing how to frame them, not eloquent in our prayer language. But it says, the Spirit himself pleads on our behalf. You know what that says? That says that the God who wants to tabernacle with us is with us and that his Spirit is there to lead us and guide us into all truth, to show, take of God's and reveal it to us. But the Spirit himself pleads on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. And the one who searches hearts knows exactly what the Spirit is thinking. Because his pleadings for God's people accord his, his pleadings for God's people accord with God's will. Furthermore, and this is where it comes in, we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what is the key? God loves us? Yes, he loves us. It's the most powerful antidote to anything out there that we have. But it says called according to his purpose. If they had built the tabernacle according to their own design, it would not have ended up with the Shekhinah, with the glory of God's presence, filling that place in the way it did. They did it exactly according to what the plan was laid out for God, by God for them to do, and they did it with diligence, with no complaining, with moving forward. Even after all of their other antics that happened, they still came together, and God did not forsake them, but he drew them in to make them prosper in the things they did. He goes on to say, those whom he thus determined in advance, he also called, and those whom he called, and this is the thing, in verse 29 he says, because those whom he knew in advance, he knew in advance what the tabernacle would look like. He showed Moses the pattern. He knew in advance what you would be like. He knew in advance what your life would accomplish. He knew what my life would accomplish. He knew all these things in advance. And we need to move forward. He also determined in advance 
they would be conformed to the pattern of his son. The pattern of the tabernacle was a place of God's dwelling. But God wants to now know in advance and conform us, determined to conform us in advance into the pattern of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he thus determined in advance, this is not a matter of, uh, of, of um, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing you could do about it. You, this is what it is. No, no, this is calling to action. Uh, it, it, it is not, um, uh, I forgot what the word was, uh, uh, but you know what I mean, right? Uh, that it's destiny. If it, you're in, you're in. If you're not, you're not. What can you do? It's predestined. That is predestination. That's what the word I was thinking of. It's not predestination. It's that God predestined in advance for us to conform to his son. We can choose to do that or not. That we might be a firstborn among my brothers. Those whom he thus determined in advance, he also called. And those whom he called, he also caused to consider to be considered righteous. And those whom he caused to be considered righteous, he also glorified. What then are we to say of these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Now you could say, well, I know a lot of people against us, but that's not what it means. If God who provides everything for us, then why focus any longer what we lack without him? We are not looking in the right way. We're not thinking in the right way when all we do is look at circumstances and think that they rule us. God wants us to not think of what our lack without him is, but to embrace the all and the fullness of God so that we can see what God is saying. So some might say, says, um, uh, he who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up on our behalf, on behalf of all of us, is it possible that having given us his son, he would not give us everything else too? So who will bring a charge? Listen to this. Who will bring a charge against God's chosen people? People are always complaining, always trying to find scapegoats. Look, here's what he says. Who will bring a charge against God's chosen people? Certainly not God. That's what it says. He is the one who caused them to be considered righteous when we weren't. Amazing. Who punishes them? Certainly not Messiah Yeshua, who died and more than that has been raised, is at the right hand of God and is actually pleading on our behalf. And then here's the part I want to talk about. Whatever the plague may be, whatever the circumstances you may find yourself in, keep this in mind. Who will separate us? We're talking about separation, right? There was a place where it mentioned that Moses separated himself. People separated themselves from Moses. But they separated themselves to do the work and get ready and prepare. We're not separating just simply to keep a virus away. We are separating for another purpose, separating so that we can be drawn to God. It says this, who will separate us from the love of the Messiah? Trouble, hardship, persecution, hunger, poverty, danger, war, coronavirus, doesn't say that there, but maybe lack of toilet paper. I don't know, but I'll tell you what it says. As the knock says, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. And we're hearing all the reports all day long of, wow, it's going around the world and all of this. I am not minimizing that, but I'm saying we need to step up to a higher place than toilet paper. We need to step up to a higher place 
It says, for that sake, your arts, we are, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered like sheep to the slaughter. No, and listen to this. In all these things, we are super conquerors, more than conquerors, through the one who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, neither power above or powers below, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which comes to us through the Messiah, Yeshua. This is what God wants us to understand. All of these things are available to us. We don't have to settle for less. And I want to close with a passage also here. I want to close with something from that we started with. At the end of at the end of Exodus, it says this. They finished the work, and here's what happened. They all did their part. They all came together. And the antidote, the antidote for sin and for rebellion was God dwelling in the midst of the people. And what does he say at the end? It says the first day of the first month of the second year, God's glory was made manifest. The Shekinah was poured out. The cloud covered the tent. They had finished what they were supposed to do. They washed. That's what we're doing, washing. But to what end? So that we have squeaky clean hands? No, so that we could be washed and purified by God's provision so that we could experience and prepare for the next thing, which is Passover. At the end of the book of Shemot, of Exodus, he says, Chazak, chazak, benit chazek. Be strong, be strong, and let us be strengthened. God wants to strengthen us. During a time when all of these different calamities are happening around us, God's made a provision for us through the Messiah Yeshua to be able to experience what He made available for us, what all of the writers were talking about, what everything spoke of. God in the midst of us is mighty. Even Yeshua, it says, who for the joy set before Him, endured the execution stake, despising all of the contradiction of sinners. He didn't look at it and say, it wasn't my fault. He didn't look at it and say, this isn't fair. He didn't look at it at all. He looked and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he made a provision. He didn't, he wasn't murdered. He laid his life down. He laid his life down and rose again so that we could experience, like it talks about uh, in the Amidah, that God is a God of resurrection power. And Messiah came to give resurrection life to us. So the antidote for hatred, the antidote for all of these things, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, all of that, is the love of God being able to be sealed in us. Take the dosages of love that God has made available to us. You can never overdose on this antidote. It will transform every area of life, your family, your friends, your neighbors, everyone around you. All of us are going to die one day. But God wants us to experience his life now and the life to come. And so I would encourage you, if you've never experienced Messiah, and if you feel weak right now, Rav Shaul, Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong? Because he understood that in his weakness, he could rely on God's strength. 
And so we say, like it says at the end of this portion, Chazak, 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 Be strong, be strong, and let us be strengthened by the power of God's promise through Messiah to all people. Let's see God bring about transformation, and let's all do our part, bring our gold, bring our cloth, bring our skills, our craftsmanship, our actions, our hearts, without compromise, to a world that is in need, so that people can experience the blessing and the hope and the strengthening of God's power. Lord, bring your deliverance power for all of those in need. Bring healing for each one. Bring your transformational power to all lives. And Lord, bring, as I mentioned before, the Bezalelian anointing to bring healing for people who are in need. Give the doctors and those who are appointed for the task to bring about quickly a physical remedy for this disease, as you've also made available a remedy for a spiritual disease that all of us suffer from. Lord, bring your cleansing power to each one. In Yeshua's name. Amen.